I got an email from um, from JJ Abrams, who wasn't that famous at the he'd done Lost, um, and it, and it basically said, um, "Hi, I'm JJ Abrams. I make a show called Lost. Um, I learned to sculpt from from your DVDs, um, and, and I'd love to meet you." Hello, and welcome to the 3D Meetup Podcast. For this episode, we're talking with Glenn Southern. Glenn is a digital sculptor, 3D modeler, VR artist, and a certified ZBrush instructor. As always, we start out with how he got into 3D, we talk about breaking into the industry, he gives some advice on networking and working with people, and we talk about setting up your own company. We touch on VR sculpting and its potential, we go over some of the software he's using, some of the projects he's worked on, and we finish up with some advice on how to improve. There's a lot in this episode. Glenn is full of great advice and wisdom, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to him as much as we did. I'll see you on the other side. I'm here with Glenn Southern. Uh, First of all, thanks very much for joining us, Glenn. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast for us. No worries at all. Good to be here. Uh, I guess we'll just get stuck right in, Glenn. Uh, would you mind telling us how you got into 3D? Yeah, so um, I'm a little bit older than probably a lot of your listeners. So um, I'm 52 this year. So when you say how I got into 3D, um, I was into art and creation and design um, from the age of 15, really. And if you think of that being kind of like the mid-80s, um, the sort of 3D I was even aware of at that stage was at, at, at the higher end and the best end. It was kind of like Tron, um, and you know, and one or two other films that had just sort of like touched into 3D a little bit with the highest end multi-million pound machines. Um, and then what we had on the desks were just um, either green screen, you know, PCs, or um, there, there was a, a raft of things like the BBC and the Micro and the Acorn and the Apple was there, but I wasn't even anywhere. Obviously, I was, I was, you know, a teenager. I didn't have the money for an Apple or anything like that. Um, so, so at that point, um, for, from a from a 3D, if you mean 3D with computers, there was nothing. There was literally for me, there was literally nothing. I think the only computer we had at home was a Spectrum. Um, so I started. Um, drawing and doing 3d drawing into in terms of uh, cad and draftsman drawing from the age of 15 so i left school at 15 went on a little training course um to do a little bit of oddly it was stop motion which is something i came back to but then within that year of leaving school i was in a i was in a steelworks in a, a, a print department and i was learning how to be a draftsman um which is the path that my brother took and he's 10 years older than me so I was I was doing prints for draftsmen with the aim of doing an apprenticeship and going into um, being a um, a draftsman that draws steel and draws buildings and agricultural buildings. So so that was that was right 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 back at the start. Um, and what I was doing at that point is um, I was drawing all the time and illustrating. And I was I was getting a lot of magazine work um, for games that I was. We used to have things called play by mail games that had magazines attached to them before. You know, and, and, and things like Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of fantasy games. And, I, and I, even from an early age, I was lucky enough to you know do some inking and illustrating on stuff like that. So that was that that was kind of where I started in in terms of um, art overall. And my family are quite artistic, although not artists. 
So if you then if you then ramp that forward a little bit to the end of the eighties and into the sort of like turn of the nineties into ninety one, um, that's when I first started to understand that there was a lot more of 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 three um, D to, to to get your teeth into if if you wanted to. So so I had an Amiga twelve hundred, um, and there was a program on there called Organica. Um, and another one that I was aware of called Real 3D, and I, pretty much all I could get out of it was a was a cube and a ball and a, and a shape. But I kind of knew that that's something that I, you know, because I was very familiar with front, side, top, elevation, and everything from the from the, the drawing boards. Um, and what, when I was at school, it was called technical drawing. You know, it's you know, there's all sorts of different terms for it now. Um, so, I, so I really kind of like thought, right? I've, you know, I've got to have something to do with this. I've got to get involved in this. And in about '91, um, I had a copy of, or access to a copy of um, 3D, um, 3DS. It was called at the time. What you would know as 3D Studio Max now. And I think it was by a company called Kinetics at the time. Um, and because my brother was a steelwork designer and ten years older than me, he was using it for for starting to learn it for for, for work. So that's that's the first real sort of like bite of the cherry when I started making my kind of chess sets and um, you know shiny spheres. Everything was either reflective or not. Um, so you know the stuff that everybody was used to seeing by the mid nineties. I'd been doing it since sort of like late eighties, uh, you know, nineteen ninety one. But at that point, I think my first PC was a DX two sixty six. With no graphics card, so if the graphics card back then was part of the machine, um, you could buy a 3D card, as they called it, and, and plug it in separately. But that, but there was not really anything that could run on it much, other than demos. So that so that firmly got me into, um, you know, now I want to make stuff in 3D. And, and and when you think about that time in in what became this industry. Let's let's say ninety two, ninety three. You you see in Jurassic Park land on the scene. You're seeing, you know, it's a, it was a really pivotal time for the big, you know, the Sun Microsystems, and you know, Apple was was obviously without Steve Jobs at that point, and that was that was handling all of with things like Quark Express. They were handling everything print wise, and everything in the design industry was was, was Apple based. And, and and again, we you know with things like 3D Studio Max and what what you know basically what became Maya, you could see where it was going to go. And I I jumped on then. I switched over very very quickly to a program called Lightwave. Um, and the reason I switched to Lightwave was because in in the um, sci-fi community there was a TV show called uh, Babylon Five. And in Babylon Five, they they were they were rendering. There was no CG creatures because obviously there was very little around CG on the on the telly, and in terms of creatures, but all the ships and a lot of the planet shots were done um, on uh, in in Lightwave and, re- and rendered. Actually, a lot of it was rendered by sending it out to enthusiasts and getting them to render a couple of frames. No way. And they would send yeah yeah, and they would send it back, and eventually that would make a scene. Um, so I was very, in, I never got involved in that, but I, you know, that's what got me, you know, making spaceships and making, um, you know, making, uh, you know, anything that I could really at that point. I was, I've still got a lot of artwork from that sort of time. Um, but it was very blocky. It was, you know, 3D Studio Max was very blocky at that point. We're, we're before the advent of subdivision modeling, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it was kind of quite limited, really. Uh, but I was bought in. I was completely sold on it. 
by that time, I'd kind of, I, I bought a house when I was kind of, I think I was about 19 when I bought a house. So I, I had enough money. Um, but the art industry and what I was doing in art just, just wasn't getting me where I wanted to be. And I just, I just left it. I carried on doing what we would call freelancing now. So I carried on sort of like selling illustrations. Uh, I was, I was actually painting as well. So I was selling like watercolors and acrylics and a lot of the, a lot of the more traditional uh, artwork stuff. So I was, I was having fun creatively, but I couldn't make enough money. I could, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing I could, you know, we, we were in the north of England. We weren't, you know, I probably hadn't even been to London at that point. If you think about the timing, so I, I so it would have been, I, I had a house, it was kind of like the the, the early 90s. And at this point, I, I kind of ran out of money, I suppose, is, is the way to say it. Um, I got made redundant from the from the job. Um, in fact, I, was, I wasn't even 20 when I got made redundant. Um, and I, I didn't know how to survive at that point. I was married, you know, the finances were kicking in. It was a bit, it was a bit, you know, the financial burden was kicking in. It's my first taste of, of being skimp, really. Um, so what I did was I, I tried a few jobs, tried a few silly little jobs just to make some, you know, like literally working on a, in a shop and working on a market stall and doing some driving jobs, whatever I could do to, to, to make the, the kind of money. But all the time I was drawing, all the time I was I was, I was modelling with clay as well. I, did, I had a, a shed that was full of clay, so I kept those skills going. Kept my relationships going as well. Kept my friends in the, in the art world and the people that I'd met in the magazine world, etc. But then I um, I ended up in a job where I was a stock controller in, in retail, which is you know, a you know a fairly mundane kind of job. But I was meeting a lot of people and I was earning enough money to pay the mortgage and and, and everything was hunky dory. But what what happened was accidentally um, I did really well um, and I ended up going down to Hertfordshire near, near London and. And getting on a course that made me um, uh, a manager in training to be a senior manager in, in in that kind of industry, which you would think, you know, how the hell could that happen? But when you need money, uh, you know, this, I say this to young artists now, sometimes you just have to go and get a job. You have to go and work in Costa or you, you have to go and be a waitress or you have to go and, you know, that you, sometimes you just need, while, while, while you're in those positions, you have to just have money to, to survive. So... So I did, I did better than survive. So I did really well. And in my early 20s, I was kind of like, um, you know, I was a senior manager by then. Within a couple of years, I, I got, uh, they sent me to Manchester Business School. Um, I got like a, a diploma, which is a degree level diploma in, in, in that kind of world, which is nothing to do with what we do now. But it also gave me a lot of time with big groups of people. So I was managing big groups of people. I was learning how to get people to do what I wanted nicely. I was... I was doing a lot of, you know, learning to be a trainer, learning to teach people. And that really, to this day, is probably why I'm good at doing the um, explaining what I do while I'm doing it, you know, because of that kind of industry. And, I, and again, I always say that to youngsters is don't be afraid of going and getting life skills. Um, the skills that I picked up are so transferable that it's, it's unbelievable. And I didn't know that at the time because I didn't know what my life was, was, was going to lead to. Um, and before I knew it, like I say, I was a senior manager. I was earning very, very good money, driving around in a big Mercedes. You know, even I did a regional role around the country. So I was flying a couple of times a week. Um, you know, this is now the mid nineties, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of like very, very out of my comfort zone in terms of art. I'm, I'm very much in a, in a in a management role and thinking about how my life's going to pan out that way. 
and and it wasn't working for me in, in terms of um, in terms of how I was feeling about doing that for the rest of my career. I just knew it wasn't for me, um, and it had come up a few times in in the job where one one senior director had said to me, "You know, you're just a frustrated artist who doesn't know what you want to do." And now I look back, he was absolutely spot on. He was he was he was really spot on. So even the people around you could see that you you weren't uh, you weren't happy where you were. Yes. So it's funny, actually, and it'd be quite, you know, this is a podcast, so I can't show you, but I, I have this thing where I've drawn all my life and I keep a sketchbook and, you know, I keep a moleskin now. Um, and I was drawing all the time. So so every meeting I was in, I could draw a picture in a meeting. I could go back to that picture two years later and I could tell you what the meeting was about. Um, and I still do that now. I can, you know, I've, I've got pictures from the eighties, and I can tell you where I was when I drew it. It's, it's very strange. And uh, some people who know what, you know, it's usually people like left-handed people, right-brained people. It, it's a, it, I guess we might be on some kind of spectrum somewhere. I don't know what it is, but but I could articulate better with the with the pen and pencil and the picture than I ever could with you know with narratives. But anyway, that you know that. That was just that was coming across a lot. I was I was doing I was getting really angry, you know, that I wasn't doing more artwork. I still got I was still drawing. I was still doing a lot of, um, you know, uh, what what eventually happened was the the, the 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 there's a few things that came together. <clears throat> um, so the, if you go back to your original question about how you got into three D, so there was a big there's a couple of pivotal points for me. So. Towards the end of the 90s, um, 97, we'd had subdivision modeling arrive um, for the second, for the second, uh, sorry, for the, um, the Pixar short, Jerry's Game. So now, now the stuff I was seeing was, was very organic, whereas if you go back to Toy Story 1, it was nerves. Toy Story 2 was subdivision modeling. And, and I could see that that was going to be amazing. And I, it, was, it was in Maya at that point. It was in Max. It was in Lightwave. We were getting really nice organic modeling going. And I could see that's what I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do more and more of that. And at that point, um, I think, well, by the end of the 90s, um, 99, I found ZBrush, um, which was in alpha stage at that point, 0.85 alpha. Um, and I made some, some. I got hold of a copy and I just made some models and I posted it on a what what, what was a forum at that time. And then Pixelogic, who, who make ZBrush give me a call and a guy called Jaime LaBelle who's the who's still the, the number two in the company he rang me and said right you know let's let's get you doing some stuff for us so I, 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 at that point I was still with a, a day job you know I still had a retail day job and I was still you know I was paying the mortgage really well now money wasn't my problem anymore I, I talked to people who want to get out of their day job and get into our kind of industry and you have to, you know, the excitement of getting out and being an artist is you've got to temper that with the fact that no one's going to pay you. Um, and if you're if you're anything over, you know, if you've got a mortgage or if you're in your 20s and you start jumping out and, you know, suddenly you've got no money coming in, then it just, you know, all of the stress of having a boss and all of that is suddenly replaced with all the stress of having no money and then pressure from your family or pressure from your partner and, you know, it, so, you, so you've got to be really mindful of how you're going to transition out. And, and, you know, and that's what I had to do is I had to take some advice. And I found some of the best people online who, who get, you know, who, who talk to people who are transitioning out of jobs. Um, there was one lady that ran, runs a podcast called Cubicle Nation. Um, and it literally is people who have got a second income from a, from a hobby. How do you turn that into a, into a, yeah. So I did an interview with her way, way back. And that stuck with me all these years because it, it 
you know, what I did was I, I was very fortunate to be earning good money and I was married and, and happy. So, you know, I, my, my wife took the brunt of the, of the money monetary um, load for the family. And then I, I, I basically put a load of money in the bank and then that's how I transitioned out. And I just went literally from that and started a company. Um, but the reason I could do that is, uh, as we go back to what I was just saying about ZBrush, um, I started, so this would be, I'm going to say, 19, sorry, 2001, 2002. Um, and I started making um, videos. I started doing DVDs. And I started doing them and, and eventually selling them on Amazon, which had just started as well. So I was... I was in two worlds at that point. I was in these two industries. I was doing really well. I was the, I, I did covers for Pixelogic's adverts for the magazines. I was in Game Developer magazine doing stuff. And, you know, I, I just knew that that's where I was going to go. I just had to decide that, that the money had to be right. And, you know, it, took, it still took me a couple of years to, 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 to get that transition. Yeah. And how much content did you have before Pixelogic actually, like, contacted you? Uh, probably about a month's worth, if that, maybe something like that. But there was no one else. There was like you know a group of. I mean, when when Pixelogic eventually started a forum, um, which is called ZBrush Central, that was two thousand and one, and I'm number forty five on the forum. Um, so I I joined before some of like even Jaime, the main guy. He's a bit he's a, a later number than me on the on joining the forum. So he joined. I joined in the April. I think he joined in the July. On if you look on the system on your Look on ZBrush Central. So I've used it since it's since before it even had a forum. It, it had another forum called Z, Z Academy, and that closed down and ZBrush Central opened up. So I, I've had that kind, and that's why I have a massive loyalty to Pixelogic is because I've I've seen them grow from you know late eighties. You know, Offer Allen who, who who writes it and owns it. He came out of Sega and started it. So I've seen them literally from. You know, in the back of a factory to to the bay of moth that they are now. You've been with them from the beginning, like yeah, 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 and it, and, and obviously I'm friends with everyone there. You know, or, or most people that I know who aren't new. Um, and there's that you know there's that there's that loyalty that comes with time. Uh, plus, it's an amazing product. So. You started doing ZBrush and Pixelogic have kind of contacted you, uh, but you, what, how do you start making money then? You know, how do you transition into being a freelancer from someone who's just doing the training videos? Well, at that, at that point, um, I, I'd had quite a few years of, of um, 3D modeling as well. So I was my, my my kind of idols in the industry were was a chap called Ken Brilliant, who was an amazing modeler in the nineties in Lightwave, and a guy called William Vaughan, um, who again, if you look these people up, they're still there. William Vaughan, um, he's, he's pr- probably one of the best people for. Um, subdivision modeling that i've ever known he, st- he still does character work that's this you know i still talk to him all the time you know remotely um, and i was watching these people and, and, and another big hero of mine is a guy called bay ray um, and bay was the guy that built uh, the facial worked on the facial rig for Gollum, and you know did the topology so i was following these guys i was on their forums there was there was spin quad forum for william there was uh, spiraloid for bay who had his own forum um, there was, you know, there's quite a few places you could follow these people and learn their skills. And there's a guy called Martin Kroll started doing videos in the late nineties. Uh, and I kind of just tagged along there really and started using programs like this one called Mirai and Wings 3D, 
but they were all good subdivision modeling packages. So I cut my teeth on topology and you know why it works for animation by watching those kind of people and then trying to link that to what the hell can we do with ZBrush? So all of that that I'm learning, the box modeling and the good topology, how the hell do we link that in with something that gives me a million polygons? Um, and that's when we started to see normal mapping becoming a thing and displacement mapping becoming a thing, and you you could see it evolving around you at the time. So I, you know, that, and that's still a passion of mine. All of that that I've just said is is to this very day is still a massive passion of mine. You know, I, I hire people and I look for their skills with wireframes. I don't, you know, the the, the sculpting skill um, it isn't always the main skill. It's the ability to know what they're making and how to retopologize. So I, so I was, yeah, so I was making money. I was, I was getting hired for, you know, for modeling jobs. All that, even while I was employed out, outside of our industry, I was, I was doing quite well. For, you know, I was making a few, fair few grand a month just on the videos at one point. So it was all, it was all coming together really, really well. Um, so it was just a case of getting out and doing it full time, really, and you know, and, and and not having the production background at that point you know it's very difficult to say yeah i've been like a you know i've been in retail but you know people wouldn't touch you with, with a barge bowl so i almost had to do it quietly um so i didn't make a big splash when i left i you know i was my first contract when i when i did leave was going to be in new york but working remotely and it would have been a two-year contract but as i as i prepared and i handed my notice in and moved out of that and um, that contract fell through so i was literally I was literally no job. Um, not, at that point, not even the company set up. I was just floating. And then I, I was really lucky again that I, I, I met my accountant that is still my accountant today and kind of business partner. And, and she said to me, it's the best thing that could have happened to you because what it taught me very quickly is not to put all my eggs in one basket and and to be ready for that and, and keep lean and mean ready for it. And it, it was early on to have such a disaster because um, I hadn't made a single penny at that point, um, but it was a good lesson to, to teach me the you know plus plus I had a kind of you know the background in, in retail is brilliant for giving you the idea of profit and loss and understanding a profit and loss sheet and you know making profit is what count that kind of stuff that you just don't get taught that in in, in a lot of this industry. So it's you know it, I was very fortunate I came preloaded with all that. And so everything had to have a, and you know, I was a bit, I, I was almost like a cross between a, a producer and a, and a, and a, and a art director kind of role, really, because I could, I could, I could see the art that I wanted, I could make the art, and I could also cost it, and that stood me in good stead all the way along. Really. So, can I ask then, what was your first job? What, what did you land then as a? So the first. Um, well, I had lots of little jobs, um, and as I say, illustration jobs were still going on, and I was using ZBrush to do medical um, um, promotional stills for, you know, like uh, doing body parts, and um, uh, I'm just trying to think of good examples. Um, so again, still fantasy magazines, so I was still doing, I did a lot of dragons, um, and, and back in but those sort of days, if you're 3D modeling a dragon, it was all in bits, you know, it was, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't you know, do what you do these days with, you know, something like Z-Spheres or anything like that. You literally had to, you know, model the head. That was a separate model. The neck, that was a separate. Um, made a few of them. Did a few, did a few commercial type, you know, jumped on a couple of adverts. I worked for, <laughs> I did, there's a company before, you've got to, you've got to try and keep this in contact, context with time. So 
this is before Facebook. This is before uh, Instagram. It's before social media as a whole. But there was a company called Powwow, which is still around today, and it's like Messenger. Um, and Powwow is a, is a, is literally like a chat um, uh, piece of software. But it's called Powwow because it's made by a group of American Indians in America, and they they got a bit of money behind them, and that one of them was a coder. And I did this. Um, one of the pieces of artwork I did was. Um, it was a almost like a Native American, like a Cherokee warrior flying on the back of a wasp. Um, and that was to represent the powwow stuff. It's called powwow now or something now. Um, so this was like, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago. And it's I, they, they contacted me on Twitter about a year ago. And it was, just, it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I was getting those kind of little jobs. Um, but the first, the first, once I'd set the company up, I suppose, and after a while, the first, pro- you know, the proper contract that I got of any size was, let me think, that would have been a few years. So it probably would have been, the big one would have been Sky, would have been the first big one. Um, and that was where, um, it, it, what became the Golden Lion for, for Sky in the UK, which was, that was like 2010. So we're talking a few years later, but, that was the first big break where I got a TV sting that mattered. That the, it was a big iconic brand, um, and that stood me in such good stead that I still work for them today. We're still a contractor for Sky, so we do we do do a lot a lot of our work goes through Sky now. Um, so that was probably one of my big breaks. Um, and then the first film that I did, um, oh my god, this is going to get embarrassing now. So I'm trying to think what I'm going to say. The first film that i can remember working on was dungeons and dragons 2 um no way in lithuania yeah so um so i was working on making an ice dragon and a, a beholder and um that'll only mean something to people who know D. i was making i was making lizard man i was making um things called kobolds i made uh, yeah no that's awesome i know it's crazy isn't it it's crazy and the good thing is the, the the guy that was directing it was a guy called Jerry Lively who had done the Hellraiser series and he'd done like the he'd done like the third I think he directed number three or four of Hellraiser and and the team that was around were much more experienced than me in three D but but I I'd got a lot of artwork you know a lot of concept work and what have and um, so the, so like like you were saying those extra skills are really starting well, yeah yeah and plus I played D and D as a teenager so I I kind of like you know I was I was chatting to Jerry and saying you know you can you can't make a kobold the main shaman at the start of the film because they're just crappy little characters you need that to be a lizard man and he was like yeah we'll have we'll have a bit of that and that, that informed that informed the script yeah so you know I was I was so impressed back then because I was still a massive D and D even though I didn't play it I was. Uh, I got mates all over the world who were still playing D and D. It was like you know, I thought I was the bee's knees then because I'd been on this this crappy film. Um, yeah, so that was that was good. It's good. So and I got to go out. I got to travel a little bit back then. So it was, again, Lithuania. I didn't even know where Lithuania was when I went. So, so yeah, I was getting some nice little you know fun little jobs really, um, and and that got me going then really. So I was getting some good money coming in then, and the next thing was to was to get a studio, and you know I was I was. You know, I kept myself liquid the whole time. You know, at, at this point, I'd moved firmly out of freelancing, um, and I was then a, a limited company. So I, I was, I was hiring people. Can you talk us through that? Actually, yeah, yeah. So, so in, I mean, I'm, I'm UK based. Um, obviously, you guys are in are in Dublin at the minute. Um, so in the UK, um, 
when you start as a freelancer, you'd be you'd be paying your tax as a sole trader. So you'd, you'd be one person earning, and you'd be doing your own tax return at the end of the year and submitting that and paying tax based off of your, you know, the, you know, on what you earned that year. When you start doing a bit of project work and you start getting a bit bigger, there's there's two big things to consider. So there's one you have to end up once you reach a threshold, you've got to consider VAT. So you have to go VAT registered. And that means you're going to charge your client an extra 20%. So obviously, if you're just doing little bits of magazine work and they're not a VAT registered company and they can't claim it back, that means their bill is going to go up by 20%. So it's not particularly good for a for someone who's just doing lots of little illustrations or 3D models or bits of... You know. But for someone like me, who was then I was I was at the point where I was hiring people. Um, at, you know, the company was... We weren't turning over millions or anything, but we were... We were, we were, we were doing certainly better than I was as a freelancer. Um, so you go back registered and then you you become a limited company which takes the liability off you and puts it onto a company. So should you go belly up at some point, then the liability is firmly with that company, not with you as an individual. So there's little things like that you, you have to look into. And that's where having having a bit of skill in that already um, from, from a bit of life skills really, and then having a good accountant, which I don't care what anybody says, and I don't care how much an accountant is, you, you've got to find someone to take the weight off you financially. Um, and if you think that an accountant's too much, just wait till the end of your first year. And if you haven't been able to understand how to claim the right stuff and how to claim for equipment and how to get your vehicle sorted out and stuff like that, then you'll you'll realise how much it costs when you don't have an accountant. So I'm a big I'm a big believer in having help. Yeah. Was there anything that kind of caught you off guard when you were setting up the company or, or anything you kind of wish you would have done better or different? Yeah, I, I kind of like went in with a couple of different people. Um, I started forming little um, little conglomerates and sometimes those didn't work. Sometimes I lost money. And that taught, again, that taught me really early to be really careful because if you join with somebody and you do a project with someone, it's just you and you make, that's fine. It's really fine until there's a ton of money available. And then both of you would have your own opinion of what happens to that money. And if you haven't got a shareholder agreement or an agreement in place or just an, a gentleman's agreement, then it can it can become a little bit difficult to, to, to work through. That's only happened to me twice. Um, yeah, and, and, and my advice to people setting up now is if, if you're going to go into any kind of joint venture, then set up a, an agreement in writing and, and preferably with a, with a, with a, a legal body. Because if you if the person that you're going into partnership with doesn't want to do that, then don't do it. Because you shouldn't be afraid of it. You shouldn't be afraid of an agreement that you know sh- you know things change. So you you, know, you could start a job and then you might need to you know you might suddenly get married and you might not be able to carry it on, or you you might go and join a company and become a director, or you might just want a, a share of that company. You have to you have to have a, an awareness of what you're doing before you going really yeah have you any other just general advice on working with people either clients or like that uh, other artists oh i've got loads of advice we could we could be here all week if i start giving advice like this so my my biggest piece of advice is um it, I, I have a load of theories because i'm really old and um, so so one of them is that if you if you follow and you understand biology and natural selection i, I have a i have a real belief that that 
most industries to, to some greater and lesser degree. So our industry, the, the, the dicks get filtered out with natural selection quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, I like so that. So what you'll find is that what, what you'll find is that if there is if you do bump into someone that's a real pain and a real dick, you'll find that they won't be there in a couple of years' time. But and that's sometimes because they get promoted up and out, and sometimes because they just have to leave because they are a dick. Um, but the good thing that that, that that leaves is the decent people and the hardworking people, and that's what you want to you want to work with good people. So you will you will come across people who are challenging. You're going to come across everybody has different learning styles, but just just try um, and be patient. And just, you know, generally speaking, I, I, I live by a mantra of, um, of pay it forward. So I give way more than I get is my theory. And what actually happens is I get way more than I give. Um, but that's, that's you know, once, you, once you've been around a while and you, you can start, you, you, people that you were training when they were 15, when they're in their 30s and they're then hiring you on the West Coast of America and you go, yeah, well, that worked, didn't it? <laughs> You know, they, they give you 10 grand back. You're like, yeah, well, that kind of paid for itself. So that's that's the kind of thing that I'm getting now. I'm getting, I've, I've trained such a lot of people that I feel like I'm getting a lot of that back now. You know, even if it's just visits or even if it's just, you know, the odd, you know, you know, going and advising somebody in, in LA or going, you know, or going down to Mexico or whatever. It's just, it, you know, being a dick is, is the quickest way of getting out of this industry. Um, you don't, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't, I don't mean it. Um, don't be challenging and don't be. Um, you, one of the biggest things that does happen is that people don't critique enough. And I don't think, you know, people must, you must have critique or, you, or you'll just stagnate. Um, and, don't, you know, and some people get scared. Some people don't like to say, you know, some, some people struggle with telling people that their work is crap. Um, it's more about how you say it and how you motivate. And, and I've got lots of examples where people weren't right for a role or somebody comes for a job and they're just not right. And I've got a real passion for saying, right, you're not right. This is why. And this is what I suggest we do with you. Even if I can't hire you, then I think you should go and try this or come and try. And then by all means, come back and show me. And I've got, I could probably give you 30 or 40 examples of where that's worked. And those, those people often do, you know, once somebody's told them clearly, where yeah. they're failing it quite often helps them on the right track it? yeah you know, that once they have a direction yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah it just it just somebody's never told them that and it, and it just helps them to refocus and maybe re, relearn new skills and happens to me every couple of months i get I've, I've, I've literally had it i've had it three or four times this year and 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 those people that i'm talking about they might even be listening to this podcast but they know who they are um, and I'm always willing to, you know, look, look back again. And, you know, I, I, I've grown up with people like that who have helped me like that. And I can pick the phone up and ask, you know, the, the head of Sky Creative, you know, why why is this not working? And, you know, it's, it's building those relationships. Really. It's fantastic. Yeah. Really, it really it's, it's actually something else I wanted to ask you about, Glenn, because you, you do have a, a really good network. You seem to know everybody. Is is Can you give any advice on just good networking like how to kind of find people and and um you know stay on their radar as it were yeah the, the the big thing that i see a lot of is people don't get off their asses and get out there um and people have too many people have thought that this is how i'm going to run my my life now i'm going to put as much as i can on instagram and art station and facebook and whatever your platform of choice is and then people are going to see that and then people are going to hire me well that just doesn't work you, you, you're in a crowd of millions of people doing really you – know, nobody does garbage work on those kind of platforms. Everything is shiny and good and great and the best. 
what you have to do is take your product and your skill and take it out and go to shows. You have to take it out and talk to people. You have to mix with companies who are out there promoting. You have to go and find out what it is that you're good at and what you need to work on. Find out who's the person you want to emulate. Go and meet them. And then, and then learn how to be them, really, and, and, and focus on, on, on those skills. Or, or you do stagnate. And too many, and especially too many people in 3D, they just sit behind a computer and just hope that what they post online is, is, is going to get them noticed. And it, and it doesn't work like that, in, in my experience. You know, it does for the best of them. Um, but if you can get out there and go to, you know, I mean, I, I go to probably a show every month. Still, I still make sure I'm, you know, you know, you know, those those are the people that follow me online. They get really tired of me going. Oh, I'm now in London. I'm now in Sheffield. I'm now in Vancouver. I'm now in San Francisco. I'm now in China. I'm now, but it get you know that's that's the way I get work. Is you know my company now is kind of ninety percent repeat business, um, and that's through the, the you know that's not just because we're okay at what we do. It's because we go out and talk and we help people and. So yeah, my advice, I suppose the the advice there is get out there a little bit more. You know, you know the the magazine work promotion is good and and getting it online is good, but it's much better if you can somebody looks you in the eye and you can shake their hand and talk about what you do. It helps. Yeah. Are there are there any particular shows that you would recommend? Uh, yeah, loads. Um, so uh, let's go through the year. So Vertex is good, which is the two years running now. That's the three that the future publishing. Um, show and that's where that's only a one day event in London um, and that, that basically is for people who read 3D World magazine, 3D Artist magazine, Imagine FX um, I think that's a great show uh, later on in the year you've got um, well there's a couple um, there's FMX over in Stuttgart in Germany, that's a fantastic one to go to, there's a lot of students go to that so you get to meet a lot of people like minded people if you're a student You've got, um, I'm missing out loads here, but there's, there's tons. That These are just the ones that I really like. So the, the one that I like the most is um, Trojan Horse Was a Unicorn, which is in now in, in Malta. And that's like a week-long experience. But you, you, you must, if you're in our industry and you like characters and creatures, you must get to that. It used to be in Portugal. That's a fantastic one. Um, Bobby Chew's Schoolism. Um, courses events they they're all over the world he travels the world if you look up schoolism um he goes to dublin he goes to london i'm thinking of places local to us here now so you've got london does dublin he does all around europe does paris um and they're always great um show and tell days like two or three days of, of top a class artists um showing off their showing off their skills and help nice yeah, they're yeah. great. They're great little two-day events, and there's a good bit of a social life attached with that as well. I got an email from um, from JJ Abrams, who wasn't that famous at the he'd done Lost, um, and it, and it basically said, um, "Hi, I'm JJ Abrams. I make a show called Lost. Um, I learned to sculpt from from your DVDs, um, and, and I'd love to meet you." And I'm like, "Yeah, this isn't this isn't real. This is complete bullshit." Um, so I rang, um, Jaime in Pixelogic, um, and I said, do you know this guy? And he went, yeah, he's real. Come over. And, and at the time I was really, it was really good timing because I was about to present, at, um, at Nomon, uh, which is a school over in, in LA. And I was, I was, um, it, it, it coincided with me doing that with a, a couple of my, my 
sort of like big heroes who were on stage and I was, I was lucky enough to be able to get on there with them presenting. So there was a guy called Chris Costa, who's possibly the best character ZBrush artist in the world, in my opinion. Um, and Chris was on stage um, uh, at the same time. So I got to meet him and give him a hug and Meets Myers was there. Got to give him a hug and, um, uh, Manny yeah. Spencer was there. Um, uh, just all the heroes and, and heroines of, of, of the world. And uh, I, I oh, met nice. Rick Baker yeah. that day, and I met um, in the audience. Rick Baker was in the audience, which is just mental. And then there was also Neville Page was in the audience. It's just crazy, crazy. People, you know, nice. amount of heroes in, in one day. So I went for that, and then Jaime took me over to Paramount, and I met with, I met with JJ and, and just talked about. Um, some projects and 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 it kind of like that that was probably the big trigger for me that was kind of when it all changed really that's when i knew that even if i couldn't take what he you know because it, it would have meant a big up, upheaval for the family at that point um that was the one big trigger and I, and I always say to people look for your you know go find your trigger moment put yourself in a place where pe- people talk about lucky people and, and and a lot of people say you know you're really lucky you always do that and i go no, I just work really hard and put myself in places where, the, you know, the, it's not that the luck comes to me. It's just that I get a lot of, I get into a lot of places that lets me meet people that then leads to something. So it's it's a good chunk of hard work putting yourself in the right place that then looks like good yeah, luck. Yeah, so from, from the outside, it looks like you just stumbled into it, but you've actually put a lot of effort into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the, and the people that do well, they're either very good at handling social media or they're good at, you know, or they're, or they're good at face-to-face and meeting meeting the right people yeah. so that that was how that happened and it, you know it didn't for me it, it, i came back to the uk and very quickly after that i was uh, i was at that's when the limited company appeared and um, because he gave me just talking to him gave me the confidence yeah yeah to, to kind of set out on your own and, and and do your own thing yeah yeah, yeah. and he was he was a lovely guy he's a really really great guy that's fantastic that's a really cool story I also wanted to ask you about the VR sculpting. You did a talk for us at the 3D meetup a while ago and, and you showed us a, kind of some of the potential stuff that was happening there. I wonder, could you talk about the technology and maybe where it's going or some of the future things yeah. that you see happening? Yeah, so it's a, it's a big part of my life now, to be honest with you. That was probably a couple of years ago when we were at the your, your first um, uh, meetup. Yeah. Um, so basically, I, I came to, the, to, to that first one and we... we we introduced kind of Oculus Medium sculpting um, program. Um, and obviously here we are a couple of years on. I've, I've worked with those guys quite a lot now, and I've worked with a, quite a few other VR companies. And I and I am firmly of the belief now that that, that, that is going to be a huge part of, of the industry in the future. Um, it's in its infancy. It's a very, very new technology. Um, the, the outputs that we're getting aren't to the level that you would get from ZBrush, but... It's coming. It's you know it's it's got significantly better, and as the as the hardware improves and the field of view improves in VR, um, and as we move out of VR and into AR and MR, you know once once we have a, a headset that isn't wired, so that means the GPU is built in, you know without having the need of a PC, but it can still handle that level of data. Um, the world will change massively. So it, it, once once we're once we're with like HoloLens or Magic Leap kind of technology, but further down the line, and we're, we're working with a sculpt on our desk in front of us with our hands, 
but but seeing the desk and the sculpt and it's all virtual then it, you know you can't ignore that and, and that's coming that's that's definitely on its way i've just started a, a master's over here at leeds trinity university in in immersive uh create well, basic immersive technologies for creation and i'm and i'm banking on you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i couldn't find anyone to to, to help me get that master's because there's a, there aren't that many people who are qualified in it um and i'm now headlong into that 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 you know, postgrad degree, and then I, I'm going to go for a PhD in it next year. So I, I'm all in, I'm all in. So, so there was an event last week in uh, Sheffield called Develop Live, um, and that's a CAD-based yeah. uh, magazine that does an event once a year. Um, and like everybody was talking about VR creation. It's just Autodesk have VRED. Um, uh, you know, Maya's now got a viewer, and the, the Foundry have got a viewer, which which is obviously the next stage. Um, and I'm working with uh, a company called Gravity Sketch. So we we went ahead and we um, we we sort of like did some some sort of like deals with them. So I've got a year and a half working with them, um, as well as Oculus Medium, who I've worked with for quite some time. So it you know you've you've got to split VR at the minute out into the you know the gaming end and the the consumer end of it, and then our end, which is we're, we're only really talking about the creative side of things. And I think that, you know, I think Dreams on the PlayStation VR got released last week, and that is just an incredible piece of software uh, made made by the company that made Little Big Planet. You can now go in and sculpt your own game on a PlayStation, um, which is, you know, if you haven't, if anyone's listening to this and they haven't yet looked it up, just go and have a look at that. It's an incredible, it's an incredible feat of engineering to, you know, to be able to do world generation of that nature. I think they've taken something like nine years to develop it. So I can't remember what exactly how long, but an incredible amount of time and money has gone into it, um, and that, that's that's out now. So that's obviously that's not even in the, you know, on the big power PCs that you you have on your desk. So yeah, I still stand by what I said, and you know, we are seeing it. You know, it's. It's definitely in the mainstream more, more and more. So you're you're kind of seeing a similarity between the the early days of ZBrush and the early days of the VR sculpting. Yeah, definitely. It's, it was very much like you know back in back in the late nineties. It was kind of like what do we do with a million polygons, and and now it's you know what can we do with voxel sculpting? Um, but I'll be honest, we we pretty much start nearly every modeling job, character job in VR now. Um, we're either in Gravity Sketch or in Oculus Medium. It is so much faster just to knock out your shapes in VR than it is to do it any other way. Uh, and it generally ends up in ZBrush if it's organic, and you know Maya or Cinema 4D if it's for TV work. So, um, so would you say it gives it gives you a better sense of the sculpt uh, to do it in VR? Well, yeah, because you're in the room with it. You, you know, you, you, and also you've got with if you're doing the voxel thing. You're pulling it through. You're building up volume from the inside rather than adding to a surface. So it's a very quick way to iterate the shapes that you want. It's not good for surface detail. I suppose that's the that's the next challenge. Yeah. Um, but nobody's really saying it is. You know, that's, yeah. that's where you go to ZBrush. Really. Yeah, yeah. So, Glenn, if someone was looking to get into the VR sculpting, can can you give them any advice or software suggestions? Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Um, I'm a little bit biased because I'm going to talk about the ones that I personally like. And bear in mind, I'm a I'm a creature and character guy mostly. Um, so the ones that I always recommend, firstly, the, the granddaddy for me is Oculus Medium. So 
Um, Oculus Medium is voxels, so that means that you're creating within a voxel grid, and it can meet the surface. To make a higher detail surface, you have to put more, um, you have to go smaller, sorry, larger within that grid. So if you want to do super, super high res, one, you need a lot of RAM and a big graphics card, and, and two, you need to be aware that you might go outside that voxel grid if you wanted to. You can't have lots of huge models inside it. But with those limitations, it still would say it's my favorite um, way of organic modeling. So that, that would be um, my favorite voxel-based one. The second one in that world is uh, Masterpiece VR. Um, and bear in mind, these products are either free, so Oculus Medium comes with your hand controllers, or they're like 20 or 30 quid. They're not, none of them are yet expensive in this, in this marketplace. So that covers off voxels. For um, if you're an illustrator and you like the more stroke based, well, the, probably the one that you need to look at is um, uh, Oculus Quill, and that's now got animation capabilities. So if you look at a guy called uh, Goro Fujita and Martin Nibelung, they're they're two of the big hitters in that space, and that that's much more of drawing your strokes in the air and painting in the air, but then doing something with those strokes. So that's a, a great start for that. And then the third one, the one that I'm heavily involved in um, myself that, I, that I'm now passionate about is, what, again, sorry for the tech speak, but you now can have NURBS in um, in, through, in VR. So that's that's non, non-uniform rational beast blinds, if you want the, the, the tech speak. And that basically means, you know, CAD. That means Rhino equivalent or three, Fusion 360. And that's there in the form of Gravity Sketch. And again, I think it's only twenty odd quid for the for the um, consumer uh, version. It costs a lot for the enterprise version because that's aimed at large car manufacturers. Um, but if you, you know anyone who's done NURBS in the past and done any NURBS patching will know what a, you know a challenge that can be in industrial design. But you basically can pull your NURBS patch through the air in front of you, and then you know, and then mess with the control vertices, and it's just crazy what you can do with it. Um, and they're, they're, so they're my main, they're my main um, go-to's uh, at the moment. There are, of course, things like V-Red um, with um, uh, Autodesk. They've got their own, but that again, it's quite expensive and quite early on. And it's, it's very advanced, um, but it's that again, that's more for a, a industrial design. But that's a good start for ten. Is there any any courses or any anything online that you could suggest for? Um learning from for, for vr it's it's quite limited if i'm honest with you it's um it, there's um goro fujita does a lot for quill um if you go to the oculus forums you'll find quite a lot of free tutorials and, and obviously there's there's a few bits and bobs online from me which is just look up southern gfx and you'll find a couple of hour videos up there oh brilliant um, yeah. and i'm doing a couple of uh, i think i've got uh, a tutorial every month going forward in 3D World magazine. Nice. So keep an eye on that, um, and 3D Artist magazine as well. So there's a there's a four videos of how to make a dragon in Gravity Sketch, in that's in this month's 3D World magazine. So that that'll be one to to get those. Yeah, I think you can get it off Creative Block um, as well once once the magazine's out. Um, so if you don't buy the magazine. Uh, I'm pretty sure it will arrive there at some point. Perfect, amazing. But yeah, there's not a huge amount on. You know, it's still again, it's still very much the wild west, and so it's it's still early days. Still kind of finding its feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Glenn, would you say you're an early adapter of this kind of software or in general? Uh, you, you could say yes, um, but I'm not a naive early adopter. So right. um, and I, I don't even know if that's a thing, but I'll explain what I mean. Um, so I, I, I look at a lot of – but basically my world revolves around creating stuff. Um, I follow creatives right across diff, you know multiple sectors, um, and I'm always interested in getting stuff made. So it's usually around modeling, drawing, or you know concept painting. So I watch for trends, and when I see a potential trend emerging, if I think it's going to be something I can either use or be interested in, then I laser focus on it for a very short amount of time. And that's how I did it with 3D printing. Um, and I didn't want to get into it at the very early stage because I'm not a tinkerer. I'm not. A, I don't like to be having machines apart. I don't like reinstalling stuff all the time. So what I generally do is I'll only go in as an early adopter if if it's something I could just get on with. And that was, I'll be honest, that would be Oculus Medium that came out of the box ready to go, and I just jumped on it. And within a month, I was talking to you know Facebook and Oculus, and then I, I got hired. Um, so, so that's without any any amount of um, tinkering. I just got in, made the stuff, did it enough to show people I could do it and, and teach it, and then you know went for it. Now, what I don't like is when so, so I'll give you an example a little bit further back than that. So when Oculus first developed the um, they had a I can't remember what it's called the SDK one or something like that. there was a development kit for the Oculus Rift. And I wouldn't go into it. So I researched it first. Too many people were being sick. Too many people were falling over. The, the software wasn't quite right. So I don't, I would probably, and I have a couple of mates who got in at that stage and that put them off. So I don't naively dive in. Um, but what I do is I do a lot of research and I do a lot of, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people, I'll go and try it and then I'll, and then I'll dive in. If you see the potential really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If if I can see that if I can see that I can use it or make myself stand out a little bit, then I will I'll do it. Um, uh, but what I don't do is just go and buy it for the sake of buying it. You know, I, I you know, and quite often with hardware as well. I, you know, with cameras, for example, I sometimes buy a camera that some people would think would be obsolete, but for me, it's the right time. I've waited for a certain amount of time, and it fits the need. So I don't just jump on the latest. No, I don't mind. I don't mind dropping the dollar on, on you know. I, 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 I'll give you another example. The, when Form Labs developed the Form uh, 3D printer with resin, oh yeah, there was yeah. a Form 1, and I watched it, and I thought, no, I don't want to be spending my time cleaning up resin. I don't want failed prints. So I waited for the Form 2, let everybody else do the hard work, and then I just jumped in with the Form 2. Yeah, um, I did yeah, the same yeah, yeah. with the MakerBot. I left all of the initial MakerBot. I let, let everybody do all the hard work, and then I jumped in with the Replicator too. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, the software probably I might dive in a bit quicker. Maybe I might get in there because you can get in. What well, I have this little rule where I dive in and I laser focus for one week, which is what I'm doing. What I've done this year with Blender, and just get in give it everything I can for seven days. And if, you know, if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, and that, that usually gives me all the answers I need. Yeah. But th- those seven days, how many hours would that be? You know, when I say seven days, I never have seven days to just do that. That that would mm-hmm. be seven days outside of the work day. Right. That would be, that would be seven days of maybe two or three hours a night or, if, you know, I, I, I don't really sleep that much. So I, people often see me working at three in the morning, which they find quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, but it but it gets a lot of it looks like I'm doing 
a lot of work. And, that, and my Instagram account is full of that kind of stuff, which is, if you track back over the last few years, my Instagram is like one long series of experiments and it doesn't show, he kind of, you know, it doesn't show, we worked on Jurassic World opening titles last year. It's not even on my Instagram sting. I haven't even bothered putting yeah, it's just the things that you're interested in and the kind of it's things more, you're excited yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, you can almost track what I'm currently into by, by my Instagram. You know, it's you know, it, it just shows what I'm experimenting with, and I always like to drag people along with me, so I, or find out who's the best and pester them. Um, so you know, I've, I've got some good UK Blender users coming over to have a you know to get a, you know a bit of a, a feel of what they think about it in the next few weeks. And I've only really gone to Blender because I felt like a bit of an elitist going around saying don't use Blender, and now I feel quite embarrassed. That could could you talk to us about Blender a bit because we were talking about that before we got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I've uh, all that software I've talked about in the last hour is what I grew up with, and then I've always gone around saying. You know, I looked at Blender several times in the last six, seven, eight years, and I've always found it hard to handle. It's got a right-click system, which is a nightmare. Okay. Lots of interface issues, which strangely enough, people say about ZBrush actually. So I should be used to that kind of stuff. But I could never, I could never stick. You know, I could never get beyond a certain point. Um, and then they brought out uh, a beta version of two point eight, which is pretty much rewritten. And my God, it's amazing! I, you know, I, I've been I've been evangelizing about it for the last month. Really, it's it's, it's got a sculpting set of tools in there that are pretty amazing. It's got new. It's got what they call fairly new technology called Dino Topo, which is which is the same as Sculptress Pro inside of ZBrush, which is basically dynamic tessellation as you sculpt. So as you as you sculpt on a nose, it gives you more triangles to work with based on a number. So that that's that's a new way of modeling for a lot of people and and, and they do it, they implemented it really well. Um plus it's got it's got its own, it's got something called Eevee, which is a real-time render engine, it's got cycles, which is a GPU renderer, it's got simulation, it's got cloth, it's got hair, it's got um comp, it's it's you cannot ignore it now, is my is my thoughts. Um and I wish I, I wish well, I probably don't wish I got I got in any earlier because um 2.7 I, I still struggled with it I, I kind of kept turning away it's really this big they've really decided to go for it with with 2.8 and change the fundamentally change the way it works and it, I think it's going to bring a lot of people into the fold there's a lot of um, well-known artists who are diving in and you know turning away from autodesk and the foundry and you know those kind of other programs. Yeah. It's certainly going to be interesting because uh, that's something I'd heard as well that a lot of people kind of find Blender difficult to get into, and um, but this latest release is certainly easier to navigate around. Yeah. You, is there anything about it that you found frustrating, or has it just been a an easy ride the whole way? Um, there's a couple of things that are frustrating. The uh, retop it isn't there yet for me. Um, I don't find the retopology tool. Everybody says it's easy, but I can't do it. So I've got to spend a bit more time on that. Um, I'm sure it's just as straightforward. You know, somebody show me how to do it better than I am. So I haven't got anywhere with that yet. Um, and there is so the the big thing with ZBrush is that if you look at programs like Mudbox, um, Mudbox. But, you know, and obviously I know a lot about where that came from and its history. But one thing that Mudbox never had was um, all of the things like Dynamesh and Z-Remesher at the start anyway. And basically what, what Mudbox was for me, even though it's an amazing package, is it was a program to do something to models 
to, so you, you take your model from Maya or Max and then you do it in Mudbox. Whereas ZBrush was always, you do it all, you make it in ZBrush. And what I'm finding with uh, Blender, and I'm sure I'm wrong with this because, again, I'm quite new. This might have changed in the last few weeks is if you've got you want to make multiple uh, objects and then combine them all and do the equivalent of a Dynamesh, it isn't as simple. And what happens is you end up having to Boolean them in, which is a really laborious process. Now, I've got um, I've got a sneaking suspicion that they've solved that in a, in, in a, another version and we'll end up with something that will, you know, that will do it. But. It's only a matter of time. It's you know, it's it's you know, as much as I'm a massive lover of ZBrush, it's you can't turn your back on some of these newer softwares. That, that yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we move off it, then do you have any advice for um, resources for learning Blender? Um, again, pretty much the Blender account. Well, Blender Guru is the main guy. Andrew Price is the main guy to look at. Okay, and he and yeah. he's um, he's not just about Blender. He's you know he's a, he's a, he's an industry. Uh, powerhouse now with his you know I, I learned such a lot when I listened to him talk so he's a great one uh, there's a guy called Jan Sculpts he's great for people like me who do want to do organic sculpting um, and then uh, well basically as soon as you start looking all the names crop up that you want just find the kind of modeling you want to learn um, and there's an absolute because it's a free software um, there's a mountain of free or cheap resources for it out there so you can, you know, I, I learned it all so quickly just by finding the right tutorials online. Hey, Glenn, before we started recording, you were talking a little bit about some of the um, 3D printing work you'd done. I wonder if you could talk us through that. Yeah, so um, we've, we've done quite a few projects over the last few years where it heavily involved 3D printing. Um, well, it's not just 3D printing, actually. It goes it goes over into um, large format um uh, carving out of polystyrene blocks, where, you know, from for film sets and TV sets. So, so really, it's the same, you know, it's the same software doing it. It's just used in different ways. Um, but we've we've done face replacement um, adverts in the UK. There was a Sainsbury's Christmas advert that we were involved in, and that's full, full, sorry, full color printing faces, you know, per frame as, as per like Leica do it. Um, yeah, so that's stop motion, right? Full stop motion, yeah, with traditional puppets with yeah. armatures, but then the head would be yeah. made in, um, you know, the original might be made in clay and then scanned, or the original might get sculpted in ZBrush. And then we would right. do the technical build where we would work out how the face fits on the back of the head and what does it need to be able to animate, because you would animate it in Maya and print it out per frame. So, you know, that, that particular project was with um, McKinnon and Saunders was the, puppetry side of it and uh, passion pictures led it down in london um so and that that was a huge huge technical learning for me we had to spend a lot of time with what's called a stratasys j750 full color printer um and it you know it just learning how to use that kind of equipment is, is you know it takes a while to get your head around what file types and you know yeah. that's when it gets yeah. a bit geeky um, but it's great because the learning is you know it stands you in good stead um I've kind of done with what they call FDM printing now, which is fused um, fused deposit modeling uh, uh, printing. Sorry. So basically, what that is is when you see these spools of of PLA or or, or you know, ABS, and that, that basically, as it lays it down, it heat bonds it per layer, and you always get a layer in. Um, and we we kind of left that technology behind quite a while ago because we couldn't wouldn't get any 
good surface um, quality. So we went in house. We just bought form form twos, as I mentioned a minute ago, and and then commercially we use we we can't afford it because they're like quarter of a million pounds the the, the printers. But we hire um, we go to print euros. Um, and that's led to a, quite a few good friendships we've made. There's, there's two companies, 3D Print Bureau in Stoke-on-Trent and Central Scanning down in, um, I think it's um, towards Kitt- or south of Birmingham, basically, Kidderminster way. Um, and I've got great working relationships with both those companies now, and that's led to loads of other work with, you know, from me to them and from them to me when they've got a client that needs help with ZBrush. And also I, I get to, to sell my training courses as well, so... Quite often, 3D print companies will, will send their staff on a, a, a training course up to the studio here in Cheshire. Could you tell us about one of the projects that you most enjoyed working on? I can't really say I'm really proud of anything because whatever I do, I always hate it. <laughs> after after about five minutes after it's done, I kind of like get, oh, God, why did I do that? Or even if it's amazing, it's you know, it's like, oh, I'm moving on now. So I, I kind of leave stuff behind very quickly. So let, let me let me talk about ones that I have liked. So one of the projects that I'm probably um, really happy with was Sky Approaches to make one of the um, the Game of Thrones dragons because they had a, a print job where they needed um, a full size dragon printed on the side of a bus, um, scratching the bus and scratching the top off the bus and cracking through the windows. And I, you know, we had a bit of a chat about how much it costs to make a dragon, and you know. Obviously, it's it's in the high millions, really, when you think about what it takes to make the Game of Thrones dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we negotiated that down um, by factors of ten, um, and and I said um, we'll do it. Obviously, it'll just be a static single render, but that that took a it took a fair while. It took a, you know quite a few weeks with me and a couple of my guys, but we we basically sculpted it up in ZBrush, painted it, um, and then we had the challenge of how the heck do we render it because the you know, it's kind of 300 DPI and it's the size of a bus and it has to stand up when you're stood in front of it. So every nail on the dragon would have to look like the size of, a, of an A4 sheet of paper. Um, so that's that's one, it's a dragon, which obviously is kind of like, yes, I'm in, I'm in with that. Two, two, it's technically challenging because it's got to go for print at a, a bigger size than we've ever done you know, on any job. And three, it's kind of under under a bit of pressure time-wise because we've only got a given amount of time to do it. So yeah, that was that's probably one of my fun ones. That's very cool. And it, it all worked out, yeah? Well, I'm looking at it right now on the wall. So it was, a, you know, I'm looking at it eight foot wide and it was probably about 50 foot wide when they did it. So yeah, it was really fun. Nice. That's awesome. Um, have you any general advice before we finish up for uh, some 3D artists that are, are listening to you now? Yeah, so... Um, I suppose there's a ton of advice you can give to depending on where you're at in your career. Mm. Um, the, 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 the big thing that I was, I was probably introduced to was um, uh, there's a book called the talent code um, that talks about how we learn and, and how, how you go into deep learning and how there's, there's a little bit of biology in there about, um, about wrapping something called myelin around a, 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 a and uh, basically how we learn and how it actually becomes hardwired. Because people always say there's a steep learning curve or it's hardwired or it's muscle memory. When you actually read about it, um, what I, I came to the conclusion, and I, and I stand by this quite a lot, is that natural talent isn't a thing. It, it, it's, you know, you get what you get because you work hard. You might have a slight um, skew and you might be great at, you know, you might want to draw or be around people who draw, then you draw more. But what happens is... Um, 
that only comes to fruition with the sweat and the grind and the do it again and do it again and break it, fix it, break it, fix it. And I think people need to learn that really quickly, that it is hard work. You know, nothing that we do comes easy or, you know, some people make it look easy, but it's it's not. It, 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 it's still incredibly hard to, to, to get to that the level you need to be, even for a general you know, 3D artist. So really it's about understanding how to learn and how to, you know, to get to that point quicker. So you're not spending, you know, people talk about this 10,000 hours thing. Um, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could do that in 3,000 hours, but do it faster and better. So if you learn how to learn and do a bit of, do a bit of research on, on ways to, you know, you've heard me in this podcast talk about something called laser focus or deep focus, and, you know, in this day and age, when you're answering your email and your Twitter and your Facebook and you've got people badgering you, it's hard to laser focus. So that's that's one bit of advice, really. Um, and then another one really is uh, when, you know, th- there's a big uh, conversation that goes on about a generalist or specialist. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's that's a huge one. And I quite often talk about that because I'm I'm not a very good generalist. So. I, I'm a specialist with a few skills either side of that speciality. I don't go in and do lighting. I can light, but I'm not a lighter. I can animate, but I'm not an animator. You know, I, I just think that very early on, you've got to try and see what's available out there. Look at all the options that there are out there and find the one you're, you've got the most skill at and the one you enjoy. And, and then focus on that and then push all your time into that. So if you if you think you want to be a modeler, then then push your time into that. Don't spend all of your time just doing a bit of modeling, a bit of lighting, a bit of you have to to do a show reel because one of the most important things is to get a good show reel. But you know, if you can find a skill that you can become good enough to get hired for just for that skill, that will get you into a studio, even if it's rotoscoping or you know, some of the more basic comp functions, it gets you in and then you can learn what you want to do. Um, but having a skill that's hireable for is, is what gets people through the door, yeah, yeah. And to to a high level rather than a lot of skills to a low level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a difficult world at the minute to know whether to go to even to go to university because, the, you know, the quality of some of the courses you can go on it, it isn't going to make you even remotely ready for what you've got to face when you come out into yeah. the real world. So you, you know, you know, you've got to really think whether university's for you or whether to go straight in at eighteen after college. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a lover of education. I, you know, I've, 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 as I've said in the podcast, I've gone back myself to, to do a master's and PhD, et cetera. But, you know, and you don't always need it, but it helps. Sometimes it does help. And, and you know, and, and the, the, the stats prove it with a degree that, you know, your, your earning potential later in life is greater with a degree. So you have to do a lot of looking into that, you know. And, and I think if you've got a special, special skill and, and you can find the right person to teach you, then yeah, then then yeah, go and do it. Don't just don't just go and go, you know, find any old course and jump on it. So I I think we're nearly out of time, Glenn. But before we finish up, um, if uh, can you let us know where people can find you on on the net? Yeah, so pretty much everything that I do revolves around uh, the name of my company, which is Southern um, GFX, and that's. Southern S O U T H E R N, and then G F X at the end of that, and that there's a bit of a story to that actually, which is I won't take any time. But G F X used to be in in the kind of like eighties and nineties. It was loads of little companies were G F X because it was graphics, um, and it you know it's completely out of its time now. But I just never wanted to change it to Southern V F X or Southern 
you know, Southern Creatives or Southern Can Draw, which is the latest one that everybody's doing. Dan Can Draw or Bill Can Draw. So, so I've just kept with mine. And so basically Twitter is at Southern GFX, Instagram at Southern GFX. Um, if you just, if you've got any interest in anything that I do, just type at Southern GFX and you'll either get to the website or to the course. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I think we'll, we'll finish up there, Glenn. Thanks very much for joining us. I, I find it really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you, you came on for us. Cool. Really, really enjoyable. And you know, you, what you guys are doing is great. So hopefully I'll, uh, I'll get to join you again at one of the meetings. Thanks for listening to the 3D Meetup podcast. As always, we'll have links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by rating us on iTunes. And if you want to help us keep the lights on, please support us on buymeacoffee.com. If you have any suggestions for how we can improve the show or recommendations for future guests, please get in touch at 3dmeetupdublin at gmail.com. Join us on meetup.com, follow us on social media, and check out our website, 3dmeetupdublin.ie. I hope you enjoy the show, and I'll see you at the next meetup.